I, I was still very much trying to understand and reconcile all these messages that we get around fitness, which in hindsight are so contradictory to our own health and well-being, but it's always about pushing, 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 achieving, doing more. And, um, and, and that would really like some of those experiences would really inform me later on about how to approach things a different way. Hi, everybody. Welcome to my Run Your Life podcast series. And as always, I want to thank you for your time and energy and for tuning into any episode that you can. I really do appreciate it. The whole purpose behind my podcast is to interview people from the world of education and beyond who strive for both personal and professional excellence in their life through their chosen field, whatever that field may be. In this episode today, I have a wonderful person on. His name is Kellen Mylad. Kellen is a health and fitness professional who is based in Milwaukee. And I first came across Kellen's work a few weeks ago. Uh, It was actually my wife, Neela, who introduced me to his YouTube series called Movement Parallels Life, which is dedicated to helping people reclaim their mobility and to build practical strength, to develop confidence, and to find joy and flow through natural movement. Kellen has a a number of videos, instructional videos, on his uh, Movement Parallels Life YouTube series that anybody can watch and follow along with. And the most important thing about Kellen's work is, and he made this very clear in the podcast, that even though he's leading these movement sequences, he does so in a very playful way that's very practical and purposeful. So the videos are really suited to anybody of any age because the goal is really to move well and to, to really find a, a f- playful flow with different styles of movement and movement patterns, really. So in this episode, as soon as I started recording the episode with him, it was very clear that Kellen is a deep thinker who has done a lot of tough internal work to better understand himself and his place in the world and to ultimately forge a very unique path for himself in life. In this episode, Kellen really opens up about early struggles with self-identity, but as I heard him talk about his story it was clear to me that through deep self-reflection, he was definitely able to truly understand who he is and to identify strengths that he brings to the world. I was really impressed with his ability to clearly articulate the language of movement and well-being. And Kellen's calm and very insightful nature truly comes alive in this episode. And you can feel that there is no doubt that he has found the right path for himself in life through his passion to inspire others to find a genuine joy through movement. His very unique style of sequencing playful 
yet purposeful movement patterns together is awesome and totally suited to any individual. And as Kellen said in this episode, it's not about perfection, but much more about the process of finding joy and flow through movement. We also deeply discuss how physical activity and movement can really lead to deeper levels of emotional, social, and physical well-being in our lives. So no matter who you are, if you're a physical education teacher um, or whatever you do, uh, you can definitely find a lot of value in his YouTube series called Movement Parallels Life. As I said, you just plug in his name, Kellen Mylad, and you'll find it right away on Google. And the one thing that I regret is that I totally forgot to talk about Kellen's app. It's called the Free Mover app. And it's an app that really helps people to move better for increased performance and quality of life. So I wanted to dive into a, a discussion about the app itself, and um, but I, I didn't get to it. So I thought I'd give it a, a little shout out in this uh, introduction. So I think you'll really enjoy this discussion with Kellen. He's a wonderful person. So with that, let's jump right into my chat with Kellen, my lad. Okay, Kellen, uh, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to be on the show. So I didn't mention this to you, but I always do an audio introduction where I, when the listeners click play, they'll hear a little bit about you. So I'll talk about a little bit about your life and who you are. So the listeners, by the time they, they hear this conversation, they will have already heard a little bit about you in my introduction. Mm-hmm. But in advance to today's conversation, uh, I really want to thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I told you that I came across your work. Actually, my wife, Neela, uh, found your work. And I told you before recording, she's a, a mindfulness instructor and a yoga instructor. And she's doing a lot of work around well-being right now, social, emotional, physical well-being. And she came across your work and she absolutely loves it. So mm-hmm. she introduced me to it. And I must say, you know, I'm a, I'm a golfer. Um, I played American football back in the day, did a lot of weightlifting and I am so inflexible, <laughs> but, um, just for golf's sake alone, like I've been doing your, some of your beginner workouts and it's just magnificent how it just reaches every part of the body, your workouts. So you really good stuff. And we're going to dive into that later in the um, show, but uh, just for the listener can listeners, can you just provide some context? So I'd like to know kind of what early days were like for you, where you grew up, the role of physical activity, sport, and exercise in your life, and then anything you want the listeners to know about you before we really dive into your journey. Yeah, um, well, I had a pretty um, typical um, childhood. I grew up here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, just north of Chicago in the, in the states, um, and and I'm 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 here now. Um, I, I moved back here seven or eight years ago, and. Um, yeah, I, I was always drawn to movement as a child. I remember loving to move. Um, I was always, uh, I was always running races. Um, I was always, um, really 
drawn into sports. Uh, and I did a variety of different sports, but looking back on it now, I, I, I see like the movement was more compelling to me than the actual competition. So it wasn't that I loved the sports so much, but I did love a diverse array of, of movement. And that came in the form of, you know, different seasons of baseball, um, soccer, track and cross country wrestling. Um, you know, I was just always down for something, something new. And I just loved going to practice and moving. It was just something about that. Um, I think particularly, uh, in contrast to spending, you know, the full school day sitting in a chair, having to pay attention and not getting a lot of, uh, kinesthetic input, you know, to be able to go to gym class or to be able to go to sports practice was just, uh, it's so renewing and so energizing to me. Um, but I didn't have a lot of structure growing up. Um, it was, um, I, I wasn't on track to be some phenomenal athlete. I was pretty good at everything, but not, not great at anything. Um, and, you know, just a quiet suburban upbringing, didn't have a lot of, of coaches or mentors, just space, space to be able to, to go play and, and move. And this was before, um, before the, the, the internet really kicked off before, um, all of, all of the, the input from screens. So there was, you know, it was right on the cusp of, of things going through that shift. So I still had the luxury of having a childhood where I had plenty of time to roam around the neighborhood and, and be outside. So, um, yeah, that was, that, that was, that was great. Nothing special, but, but simple and, and beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a, what a great, you know, I think that there's a lot to the way our personal narratives are constructed and the way we construct our own personal narratives and the language that we use to construct our own personal narratives. And for you, obviously it was a passion for movement. And when you say that you didn't have a lot of structure, I truly believe with young people, cause again, I didn't have a lot of structure either, but from not having structure, I definitely developed strengths, you know? So, what do you think you learned about yourself by not having a lot of structure in, in your life growing up? So I'm, I'm an only child and I'm definitely the, the, the prototypical only child. And so without that, that, that lack of, uh, structure and, um, just having a ton of space in my life, I th- I, I really believe that allowed me to figure things out on my own terms and get used to uh, finding meaning on my own terms, um, making sense of the world in my own way and on my own time. So I didn't have the input from, um, you know, siblings. Uh, I, I don't come from a, a huge family. Um, I, I didn't even really have like the, the, the gang of neighborhood kids growing up. So there's just a ton of space um, where I got to be present with my own experiences. I got to observe the world kind of unfolding around me and, and, and start to draw some conclusions, make sense of things mm-hmm. uh, without a lot of, uh, of interference. Now you could look at the flip side of that. And I, I would say that, you know, it would have been nice to have a little bit more guidance and mentorship along the way. But I also see that having this wide open space, um, 
gave me a, a, a blank canvas of sorts mm-hmm. uh, to, to just figure things out. Yeah, there's a sports psychologist, Dr. Michael Gervais. He's the sports psychologist for the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, he works very closely with Pete Carroll, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And I took their, they have this course called Compete to Create, which all, is all about unpacking peak performance and the strategies and mindset that can go into um, better developing ourselves and, and our own performance in whatever areas we're pursuing. <clears throat> And he talks about personal philosophies and what he talks about is the idea of the blank canvas and the freedom to explore. And Michael Gervais, uh, Dr. Michael Gervais, uh, personal philosophy statement is every day is an opportunity to create a living masterpiece. And it's that idea of the, the blank canvas. And that's what I think I see in you and your work is this um, maybe you developed a lot of independence uh, early on. To, and as you say, to figure things out, but what two or three strengths really um, describe you as a young person, um, you know, into your teenage years? Uh, what two or three strengths really describe you? Um, I, I think my mom would say intelligence. Um, I'm, to, some, to some degree, um, just being, being a good student, being, being uh, pretty, pretty intelligent, um, I'd say that that was more the product of me just being very observant and, and very thoughtful about how I go about conducting myself, about how I go about, um, you know, solving problems or, you know, creating anything. Um, definitely a lot of, uh, I put a lot of thought and care into the things that I do. And I've always been that way. Um, so I guess thoughtfulness and, um, uh, sensitivity. Uh, that's another thing. Um, I, I've just always been a a pretty emotional person. Um, and I don't know, it's just always been a trait for me. You know, I always like, I, I, I've always just kind of been the person to feel things. Um, so that's led me into, to really be interested in relationships. Um, and I've always been very, um, uh, just a naturally a good listener. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, those things kind of tie together to build my narrative, how I, how I am and how I, I show up in the world is, um, is, is kind of a, a, a caretaker or a, a helper type personality. I've always been motivated to, um, want to listen to others and, and if I can hold space for them and, and help them through challenging times, I've always been very comfortable in those spaces. Um, and you know, around that, I've always been the person to just, you know, just, just be taking things in, observing what's going on in my environment. So I think this all feeds into, you know, kind of my current philosophy now. Yeah. And I definitely get a sense of calm from your videos. Like, um, very, very calm, well-paced and well-thought-out videos and the ability to, to clearly articulate the language of movement. And that's what I get from your videos. And that itself is a real skill, um, especially, you know, because you are a teacher, you know. You might not be a school teacher, but through your work, you are educating people about movement. So that's one thing that I really want to commend you on and that I'm drawn to your work by <clears throat> the way 
you're able to really clearly um, use language that helps the movement patterns you you demonstrate in your videos really break them down and make them really understandable for a person that's might not know a lot about those types of movements so I definitely see that sense of calm uh, in you and your work. And you mentioned earlier, and this is a great time to actually give a shout out to mom who was a PE teacher because a lot of the listeners here are, are PE teachers or researchers in the area of physical education and health. So, so talk a little bit about mom and um, her, her job and, and what she did. Yes. She, she had a rough, uh, a rough role, um, as a physical education teacher in the inner city here in Milwaukee. Um, so working with some very challenging populations, um, working within a, 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 a school system and an infrastructure that was very challenging, but I just, uh, I, I, so I know what a toll that took on her. And it also highlights to me what, a, a how much love and dedication that she had for this craft of teaching and one of the things that stands out to me when she, you know, kind of talks about her experiences as a teacher is that she was always really motivated to reach out to the, the, the shy, the shy kids, the kids who were kind of artistic and maybe not as coordinated or well-versed in sports. She, uh, she always wanted to, to, to help them see that, you know, they could embrace movement and um, that that they could be competent and that they could be, um, they could have a a space um, and and a physical expression and a physical, physical experience. Um, I think she liked athletes and and, and that all well enough, but I think that's what really, um, really got her stoked was, was to see help, help a a shy kid just kind of come out of his or her shell um, and blossom. And she got a lot of uh, satisfaction out of that. And, you know, I think that it's in trying to portray or, or convey a, a, a calm energy in my teaching. I think it's, it's part of that making this work welcoming and accessible to people and understanding that movement's a very personal experience Mm -hmm. and helping people, um, you know, I just believe that when the, the atmosphere is calm and relaxed and open and inclusive, it drives the learning process. So that's, uh, it, it all comes together from there. Yeah, that's awesome. And a lot of the work that I'm doing in physical education, I work with some, um, I collaborate with some researchers in Ireland and in Canada and, and in the UK around um, meaningful physical education. So they've develop this framework of meaningful physical education, which is all about really trying to create meaningful and significant movement experiences for kids to engage them in movement for a lifetime. So it's, it's about, um, you know, finding joy through movement. It's about personal relevance is a big one. It's about finding that right challenge you know like kids need to young people need to be challenged which means that as you said there has to be an inclusive learning environment and each kid needs to be able to find their own entry point to learning that they have autonomy over and that the teacher just helps to facilitate that process and and helping them find that entry point and and then so that's another feature of this meaningful PE framework 
um, social interaction, you know, the way we interact and build relationships within the, the learning environment. And lastly, motor competence. So the traditional way of teaching PE is skill and drill. You got to, you know, throwing a ball, you got to keep the elbow up. You got to step with the proper foot and, you know, you have to learn skills, which is very, very important. But if we get these other features right, joy, personal relevance, challenge and social interaction, if we get these features right, then motor competence is a byproduct because kids will be inspired because they found the entry point that that, uh, applies to them. So that's what I really, really uh, try to have conversations uh, around when I, when I train teachers and when I speak to some of the researchers that I collaborate with. So it sounds like your mom was all about making movement accessible for everybody in the class, not just the athlete mm-hmm. and PE. There, there can be a big disengagement in PE when, when we focus Absolutely. just on skill and drill and, and the athletes and sports. So, you know, it sounds like your mom really had that vision, which is really important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you said, those that are already adept and already comfortable in their physical experience, you know, they're, they're going to be all right. They're going to adapt, but to be able to welcome and draw in, um, you know, the, the other personalities, um, that's, that, that's huge. And, and movement's so expansive. There's so much more to it than just, just the framework of sports. Um, so it's, uh, it's just very cool to, to hear about, um, about that aspect of the work. Yeah, it's, it's been really rewarding. And when I see you and your work and the way you describe yourself and embracing sport and not so much about the competition, but more about the movement and the baseball and the wrestling. So it sounded like you gravitated more towards individual pursuits. So, um, rather than team sports is that is that accurate like whether it be running or wrestling or you know individual type pursuits or did you play more team sport uh i did i did both i definitely felt more comfortable in that into being part of a team as an individual so even even in like i everyone here when i where i grew up um played soccer basically and um you know, I played goalkeeper. And so even in that, it was kind of like the, you know, the, the, the individual role, that isolated role within the team framework. Um, it was, um, yeah, but, but after that in high school and beyond, I really gravitated towards wrestling, towards track, um, things that kind of allowed me to, to have that retain my individuality. Um, and, and, but still kind of be, around people and have that social connection. Yeah. Would you consider yourself more? I know that on the spectrum of introvert and extrovert, we all have introverted tendency, we all tendencies and we all have extroverted tendencies. Where do you feel you fall on that spectrum? Oh, I'm totally an introvert. I re- I recharge myself through my alone time and like I said growing up, I had so much space to just kind of cultivate my own little world. And, um, you know, that's where I, you know, felt safe. That's where I could energize and recharge myself. And, um, yeah, a lot of social interaction drains me and I keep a small circle. So I'm definitely an introvert. I, I have a, 
you know, I, I can, I can speak to people. I can run classes. I, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm withdrawn all the time, but as far as how I recharge myself, I'm definitely on the, the introversion end of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's important uh, in, in regards to self-awareness because sometimes people feel being introverted. They, they feel this pressure to be an extrovert in social situations. And I've said this before in my podcast and, you know, I played American football. Um, so I was, a team captain the last couple of years. And uh, I, I felt this pressure to be an extrovert and to always be outgoing. And I kind of was sometimes, but I felt a lot of pressure to do that. So it took me a long time to realize that I gravitate more towards the introverted side and, and really accepting that and then understanding it, you know? And so self-awareness is a big thing. And once you can accept, as you said, you know that you need that alone time to recharge. And a lot of people never take that alone time to recharge. They're always putting themselves out there full force, right? And that yeah. can lead to a lot of stress and, and a lot of mental fatigue for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So I, I now want to kind of segue into, um, not jump right into your work yet, Movement Parallels Life, but but let's segue into that kind of transitional phase where you really started to explore uh, movement patterns. So talk about that experience and, and how you began to gra gravitate more towards those types of movement patterns that you create in your YouTube series. But um, yeah, just talk about the role of movement and that transitional phase before starting movement parallels. Like, Yeah. Um, so I will... I'll definitely give the, the condensed version, but, um, I, I was overweight as a kid also, and I fell in love with fitness, um, in my, in high school. So after my freshman year of high school, I started running, lifting weights, doing purposeful fitness activities, uh, lost 25, 30 pounds and went oh, back wow. to school, just a completely different person. Um, you know, so Kellen, that, that was, that was, uh, you said grade nine, right? Our freshman would be yeah, grade, grade nine. nine, grade nine. So just, I don't mean to interrupt, but what was your self-confidence like during that time? Uh, shaky at best. Um, I was, like I said, a, a sensitive, shy kid, chubby, um, and just wanting like to try so hard to fit in and be accepted. Um, and so nervous about that always stuck in my head, you know, just like the, the, as introverts often are. And, um, and, and so I really found a source of my own inner strength, um, and empowerment through, through fitness. Um, what inspired you, Kellen, to find that path? Um, to be honest, I had a, a gym teacher in middle school uh, that was really, you know, just, he just coached me the right way with the right, like he, he, he treated me with kindness and, and acceptance and, and, and belief when a lot of coaches or, or, you know, motivational figures had a different approach. He just, he, he got the kind of kid that I was and that I needed as a sensitive kid, I needed more encouragement. I needed a softer touch. Mm. Um, and, and was always there to support me. And I just remember like 
just you know, running on the track, sweating, like just working through it. But, but like imagining him there cheering me on awesome. and, um, and it just kept me going. And, and, and I'd always been, had a pretty good work ethic. I, I got that from my parents as well. So, and I didn't, I mean, I'm whatever, 13, 14 years old. I didn't have a job. I didn't have much going on in my life. So I, all I had to do every day that summer was to go, go play outside, go train, go to the gym, go figure it out. And, uh, I was never daunted by that. Um, so, so you lost 25 pounds going into grade 10, totally new person. And I was hooked on fitness after that. So fitness was always with me through the rest of high school, um, as sports ended and I transitioned into college, uh, there was a lot of partying and bad habits, but as working out was still in the mix there, it was still something that I was, was working on. Like always looking up if researching new techniques and strategies. And it was my social time where I could go to the gym and, and trade notes with the regulars. So how, um, how did you lift like at that time? Again, I'm trying to uh, kind of unpack more of this. So what were your work? Cause when I, yeah. trained for football we lifted hard like low that's reps heavyweight you know just you know what that's like right so just was, talk yeah. about what your workouts were like body definitely that bodybuilder style you know i um thinking back when i was in the gym figuring it out there were a lot of it was a blend of machines um and and kind of randomly throwing around free weights based off what the older guys were doing um uh, figuring it out on the bench press and the squat rack and um, might've been some deadlifting in there. And then, you know, like the leg extension and pec deck and cable machines and all that stuff that was really kind of a, a mashup of bodybuilding and, and, and sport training and powerlifting. And I think that that was, you know, very much the, you know, what the jocks were doing um, back in the, Did you do cleans. Um, I don't remember when I started getting into the more dynamic stuff. I wasn't afraid to do anything. So I might've tried it when I was in high school, but um, yeah, I just, I, I must've picked up more advanced lifting techniques just through reading the magazines and, and watching, watching people in the weight room and just looking like who, who looks like they know what they're doing and just, you know, picking their brain or just, you know, imitating what I saw them doing. So I started gradually building this, um, repertoire, uh, of, of exercises through those years where I was in high school and college, um, and did pretty well with it. It, 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 it had its place. It served its purpose. And I try to remember those times now to not vilify anything. Oh, don't use machines or don't do this or don't do that. Like, I really believe that everyone has their own, their own journey, their own process and everything can serve a purpose at a given point. My big message is always be, is always just keep learning, keep growing, don't get stuck. So I was always trying to, trying to, you know, find a good rhythm and figure out the stuff that was most effective for me personally. And I just want to say one thing there, Kellen is, and, and what I'm seeing is already a connection to, you know, the early years when you, you, you develop that independence and that freedom to explore and, and using your own language, making meaning 
making your own meaning of things. And it sounds like you brought that, that lens to fitness and you figured it out and you asked people and you watched and you learned, and then you developed this, this style and repertoire of different types of, of workouts. Does that sound accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. A product of, I, I said, I've had, I had so much space and I just started filling that space with, um, different inputs and I didn't have anyone saying, well, this is the, this is the way to do things. This is the one way to do things. So, um, you know, it was more just, just immersing myself in the world of fitness and just kind of finding food feeling my way through it, if you will. And, um, you know, maybe not the, the most direct path towards making those gains, but, um, I, I gained a lot from making my own mistakes and putting together my own, you know, finding my own thing, my own, my own place in it all. Um, and that just gave me a really deep love for, for fitness and training that I carried with me. And that reached a new level when I got into grad school, uh, so I was studying uh, counseling psychology. Uh, as I yeah, said, as a sense. kid, yeah, I, I, you know, this was what were my strengths, you know, observing, listening. Yeah. Makes total um, sense. Yeah. You know, having, you know, being with, with people and, and developing relationships. So what type of psychology, Kellen? What's that? What type of psych- psychology? Uh, counseling. So oh, I counseling. was on, okay. on track to, to, to be a therapist, um, and that was a, that was a, a, a very challenging time in my education. Um, I was, I was in a place that really matched my skills. However, it was really, it was strange to be in that space while still figuring out what it means to be a man. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't a lot of strong male role models. There weren't a lot of health role models. Uh, I didn't have a lot of support in figuring out like how, how am I supposed to be in this space? So amidst can, I ask, my, can I ask you a question? To, to, sure. I just want to pull on that thread or kind of double click on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I know that with counseling, you know, especially grad work with counseling and, and when you go deep with psychology, you must turn it back on yourself and do a lot yes. of internal work. That's part of the process. Yes. So it sounds like that's what you were doing during that time. So talk about the inner work that you, you were doing to better understand yourself, your upbringing and um, what you learned about yourself during that time. Uh, every day was, was stepping up to basically look in the mirror and, and it was all about growing your self-awareness. So the big themes for me were understanding, um, my, my racial identity. So I'm, I'm biracial, uh, mixed black and white, uh, grew up in a predominantly white suburb, um, but spent a lot of time in the, in the neighborhood when I was a young kid. Um, so kind of split between two worlds, grew up with my mom is my, my primary parent, um, and my mom's white. Um, and having to figure out, well, how do I, how am, how am I, how do I, how am I a man? How am I supposed to be a man? And, and, and a black man at that, like, how do I reconcile all these different dichotomies going on in my life. So there's a lot of time spent looking into, um, uh, my own racial identity, my own 
you know, kind of ideas and, and assumptions around masculinity, um, and, and, and being kind of a, a, a more sensitive guy. Um, and was the inner voice, you know, we all have this kind of inner voice or I don't want to say inner critic, but more of an inner voice was your inner voice as you were doing your internal work, more judgmental in nature, curious in nature, describe the inner voice where were you, um, did you have a sense of self-compassion with that inner voice as you tried to figure out your own journey? What a great question. (laughs) Um, at times judgment, but I think it was mostly characterized by, by curiosity. I got to that, my whole, my, my, um, uh, time in college, my years before that were spent studying the things that I was interested in. And I used that time to not to, to find a career path and, and stick to it so much as, as, uh, empowering my own self-awareness through education. And so it was always about just, I want to learn more about what I'm, I'm curious about. And grad school took me right into that. Okay. I really love people and relationships. I really value introspection. And that just brought all those things front and center. So I was just really curious about the process. Um, it, it was still very challenging. It was very, um, it took a lot of energy and bandwidth, but, um, that was a very, uh, empowering time for me to kind of get to look at myself and understand myself when I often felt like the world didn't get me and I didn't really know how to explain myself to the world. Mm -hmm. So that was the approach that I was taking, um, and it, it was uh, it, overall a very positive time, uh, albeit challenging. I think there's a lot of inner strength there. And, you know, you tapped into a lot of inner strength and inner wisdom and approaching it with uh, more of a curious mindset, um, you know, really helped. And you gave because you talk about physical space being around space, but mm-hmm. it sounds like you gave yourself internal space as well. And again, going, so go, yeah, and going back to that idea of freedom, freedom to explore and mm-hmm. freedom to explore and be comfortable in that space during that time. And it sounds like you, you walked out away from that time with a deeper understanding of yourself. Yes. Yeah. All enabled by this pattern of not having a, such a strong agenda or so much structure in my own life. It was just like, you know, stay, stay out of trouble. Generally stay safe, um, find a you know, a, a work or a path of study that you love and then do whatever. It wasn't like, you've got to, you, you've got to take these courses to be this profession, to do this thing, to get to this level, to this level, to this level. I just didn't have that pressure. So, um, yeah. At times awesome. it felt like wandering around, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So now you, you, you end up, so obviously going down the counseling route. Um, mm-hmm. So again, let's, let's segue into movement parallels life. So coming out of grad school, how, how many, give us a, uh, a time frame, what year that was and how long it took for you to end up going down the movement parallels life path Mm -hmm. and journey. So just 
talk a little bit about that to set the context. So I graduated from grad school in 2007. I knew immediately, I knew within the first semester that I wasn't going to formally pursue that work. Um, fitness continued to be a, a, a something in my life that was really supportive and took care of me. So after uh, grad school, I pivoted to the fitness industry. Um, so that was, I got in the fitness industry in 2008, uh, got my first job, uh, just kind of feeling things out in the, in the personal training space. Where was and that? Where was that? Yeah. Uh, that was where I went to school in Madison, Wisconsin. So oh, okay. here. So, so Wisconsin. Okay. Yep. And um, from there, I moved on to uh, spend four years in Chicago, uh, where I did random training positions, um, worked for really nice gyms, worked for rec centers, worked for, uh, or did in-home training and worked for myself. And along that path is when I got introduced to, I really started exploring all different times, all different ways of training. Um, CrossFit was kind of on the rise here. I got really into kettlebells. This all brought me into uh, natural movements. And I got a position with a company called MoveNat, which I worked for on and off um, um, throughout the years, just, just up until recently when I resigned. Um, and but that opened me up to this whole idea that there's more to it than just exercise, that movement is a much larger world. And to, it really started to open my mind to what role movement plays in my own development. So this was, this, this was back in 2012, about when I, I got exposed to this idea of, of more organic movement. And that was kind of the seeds for Movement Parallels Life, which started, to, started up in 2014. So was yoga part of that um, discovery? Yoga was a part of that discovery. Um, uh, prior to it, um, before I knew movement was a thing that, that I, I, I hurt my shoulder. I had, you know, different injuries as I was figuring things out in the gym, um, as I was, you know, kind of figuring out my own ego and things like that. And, uh, yoga was something that came up. I was like, well, maybe I can use this to heal. Um, and then that opened me up to, wow, I'm getting a lot of other benefits out of this, you know, this practice and moving my body in this way. So what, what type of yoga, Kellen, what type of yoga? <laughs> I started out with the most, uh, well, I started out with hot yoga. Um, okay. The groom yoga. So it was very much where I was at physically at that time, pushing hard and, and chasing dragons. And, you know, every workout was like waging war. So I stepped can into I, that space and it was like, this I, makes I, sense. Like, can this I tell hard. you a quick story about hot yoga? That's Bikram yoga, right? Yeah. Like hot. So my wife took me to some, some hot yoga classes in Toronto or she's from Toronto. And, uh, I was, I was kind of into it, but it was, it was so difficult. Right. And then when I was doing, I had done about three or four classes and I forget, maybe we were doing warrior pose or something. And then the person beside me, this guy, just kind of wobbles a little bit and then totally drops like a sack of potatoes. His knee, his head hits my knee and he's out cold. 
And it turned out that he was a doctor, right? And he just, he had been doing this hot yoga and he just, he didn't hydrate. But that was my last class. I was like, I don't like doing this anymore. Not just because of the doctor <laughs> collapsing like a sack of potatoes, mm -hmm. but it just wasn't my thing, you know? So anyway, sorry to interrupt, but whenever no. I hear hot yoga, I think of my one experience in Toronto. It was brutal. And yeah. like I said, at, at the time that was... I, I was still very much trying to understand and reconcile all these messages that we get around fitness, which in hindsight are so contradictory to our own health and well-being. but it's always about pushing, 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 achieving, doing more. And, um, and, and that would really like some of those experiences would really inform me later on about how to approach things a different way. So what, what else besides yoga? Did you do martial arts? Because I, I see, obviously, you know, we're going to get into movement parallels life, but I see martial arts in there and some of, you know, the, the roles you do and how to, you know, kind of like the Aikido, how to fall properly. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, did you do any martial arts? A little bit. I dabbled with martial arts when I was a kid. I dabbled a little bit when I was uh, in my 20s. Um, wrestling was my favorite sport in high school. And I, like, there was definitely an, a, I, I did like that, um, for not being, I, I, I guess I am competitive and I'm not driven by competition, but I don't know, maybe that's kind of an inherent thing. Um, that, that I, I, I can be competitive about things. So I did like that aspect of it and I did like grappling. Um, but I never got into spending, you know, years studying any martial art. So now let's jump into movement parallels life. So what were the first seeds where you thought, you know, this is something that I can do. How did you come up with the vision? Cause I see a lot of creativity in that vision. And I see you being a very creative person, you know, and all the, the movement patterns that you do, there's a ton of creativity in there. So let's jump into those first seeds mm -hmm. for movement parallels life and when you decided to take the leap and, and really, I, I think 2014, you said maybe, but uh, yeah, just yeah talk somewhere, somewhere around there. Um, well, I was teaching for this company, MoveNat. Um, I needed, I was really invested in it, but it was, you know, essentially just a, a, a part-time role for most of it. So it was like, well, how am I going to, uh, I got to create something on the side. And I, and I also want to put my own spin on it. It's a very, what I'm learning through this, I, this concept of natural movement is deeply relevant to me and my story. And I'm, I'm bringing my experiences to it. So I wanted to build something that, that I, that I could share my version of it. And, um, I, I really stumbled through trying to articulate what it was about, but somewhere through some conversations or content that I was uh, consuming back then, I, I came to see that, wow, the lessons that I'm learning through training and, and practice and studying these different ways of moving, they're really applicable to my life. The thing, the patterns that I have and, and, you know, in counseling, it's all about recognizing, you know, like, what are your patterns? Where is your, your, your assumptions and your unconscious programming kind of driving your behavior to create patterns? Mm -hmm. So it was like, how are my 
ways of being showing up in my training and, and how is that a mirror for the rest of my life? And if I'm wanting to make some changes in, in how I'm showing up, then how can my training practice be a kind of a, a, a testing ground or, or a, a lab laboratory for, um, for that process? So uh, that's how Movement Parallels Life came together. I didn't necessarily have a super concise way to, to communicate this. I don't know that I still do, but it, it was something that was really deeply meaningful to me that I could feel on a kind of a core level um, and you know, just decided to keep steadily following that, that thread uh, and building on it over the course of years. So where did you come up with the name? Like, did you have a bunch of names in your mind that you were going over and then boom, movement parallels life. That's it. Kind of thing. Not just hit me one day. It was the yeah. product of, of, like I said, a, a conversation, which is where a lot of my, um, ideas come together is, is they're floating around in my mind. Um, I, I, and, and when I'm forced to articulate them, that, they get solidified. So, um, that was just something that it it came out in, in in the way I was explaining or teaching something. And I was like, I like that. That's really encapsulates what this is all about because it's not so much about the aesthetic piece for me anymore. It's not so much about the performance piece or, or chasing this, you know, quote unquote, the next level. Um, it was like, well, this is about life to me. This is about, I'm just trying to, find my way through, through life and, and movements helping me. So that's how it came together. Yeah. Awesome. And your videos, sometimes you're on grass, sometimes, yeah, you know, different settings, but you really use a lot of different environments, um, to, mm-hmm. to teach movement. So now describe the movement. How do you, cause I have a hard time. I was telling somebody that I was going to record this podcast. And I was like, yeah, you got, you have to check out Kellen's stuff. And and it's kind of like yoga, martial arts, kind of like this and that. And so how do you describe movement now? The movement you do, how do you describe that? If somebody was to, well, I'm asking the question, but if somebody was to ask you, what would you say? Oh, <laughs> it would really depend on who I'm talking to. I would, I, I try to read my audience um, because it is such a, we, we understand things through comparison. So, um, yeah, like yoga, martial, I I've basically borrowed from all the movement experiences that I've had in my life. So sports, martial arts, yoga, to a lesser extent, dance, um, working, you know, primarily training alone, but sometimes training with other people and partners, um, uh, just, just embracing the, 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 the idea of play, um, and, 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 and freedom in movement. So basically what I like to say is that, um, it, 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 it's about making movement practical, playful, and personal. So there's getting down, like, uh, down to a, a practical level of movement. That's, that's basically about, can you move confidently through the world and meet the demands that life places on you? So, you know, can you lift your groceries or, uh, can you, what, any chores or any physical labor, any work that might happen in your life, can you meet those practical demands confidently and easily? 
Then from there, I'd say there's the, the playful piece, which is, well, can you, can you, can you have fun with movement? Can you, um, can movement be a form of recreation? So maybe outside your everyday life, can you like take a trip and go out to, to, uh, uh, the woods and feel comfortable climbing trees and walking barefoot and being in nature. Can you play with other people? <laughs> and can you like, whether that be playing tossing, you know, playing a game, uh, playing catch, um, any kind of interaction amongst groups of people. And can you, can you socialize through movement basically? And then I think the third layer, which is, gets to be a little bit deeper is the, the aspect of personal expression. Can you convey to the world who you are through how you move and those personal, that personal expression? I think that it doesn't necessarily have to be movement, but I think that as humans, we need a way to express ourselves. Maybe it's, for me, it's movement and, and, and cooking, um, that are my kind of primary and writing are my, my primary modes for expressing myself. Um, but being able to move your body and express different sides of yourself. So if you're a strong guy, can you soften and can you dance and can you, you know, you know, balance or do something more, you know, feminine, if you will. Um, if you are, if you, you're kind of a, a more flowy person, you're used to stretching and, and soft practices, can you experience yourself as strong or aggressive if the situation warrants it? Um, can you experience these different facets of who you are as a person without just saying like, without just being stuck in what you you know, how you habitually are or how the world kind of sees you, but can you express your full humanity and that full spectrum? Um, and, and I think movement can be a very powerful vehicle for that. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And I think there's a, there's a few things I'm thinking here. And when one thing I want to recognize, and I really want people to go to your uh, YouTube uh, channel, uh, movement parallels life um, and find your work, but you have you have multiple levels so, so you have you have standing level you have you know medium uh level but you also do a lot of groundwork so that's what i've been doing i told you i started to do your beginner series and i was downstairs it's an 18 minute video and i got like 10 11 minutes into it i was like because i lift a lot of weights and I'm like, I was gassed after 10 minutes, but it felt so good. Like, you know, the, the back work you were doing, it was um, going from all fours in yoga and then flipping to um, the crab and, and rotating back and forth. And, and I took me a while to get the sequence right with lifting the leg in opposite hand and kind of tucking it under. And then I finally did. And I was just gassed after that and I couldn't finish. I said, okay, my goal is to finish this the next day. But, um, so there's something there also with the levels as well, but think of now and the pandemic and COVID and how it's impacted, you know, schools around the world. And some schools are virtual learning. Like this is great for PE teachers to access during virtual learning to, to show the kids what's possible with movement. And I said this, you know, there's the traditional movement composition unit where teachers say, okay, you're going to have to create a dance. And a lot of kids that disengages kids. So it's about exploring again, movement. So, so describe how, um, how teachers could 
use this style of movement in a, in a way that uh, really reaches their students in PE? Because I definitely see it fitting. Yeah. Um, just to reach out, I, 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 I try to keep it rooted in... Um, you're, you're spot on with how you, you know, kind of layer, like there's a standing practice of a, a, like a, a mid practice and a, in a low practice on the ground. I like to start people on the ground. If they're comfortable getting on the ground for kids, that's a great place to begin. There's so much value there. There's so much richness with those movements. I, when I haven't done a ton of work with kids, but when I do it, it just requires so much less cueing and so much less direction that it just becomes, it's, it's applying just enough structure while still enabling them the space and the freedom to explore. And I think that's, what's so powerful for potentially working with kids. It's not putting them in the box. It's not even labeling what this is, other than just moving your body. So we put these really loose titles on, on the movements. And, um, you know, I can get really granular about what I call certain things, but I'm not really tied to that. Um, it, it's more for the sake of organization and I use it to support the, whoever I'm working with. And with kids, they need less of that structure. It's like, here's a crawl. Here's another crawl. <laughs> here's a, here's a, a prone crawl. Here's a supine crawl here. And, and basically just starting with a base pattern and giving some general directions around it, some support, but not saying like, this is the way it has to be done because I feel like that turns kids off. Um, it, 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 let the movements be playful, let them be light. They're generally very safe. So it, it really gives a lot of room to, 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 for free expression. And, um, you start to build, build layers on from that one base movement. So if it's a crawl, you can say like, okay, like, we're going to transition from this version of the crawl to this version. And then you can pause and, and explore that actual transition. And then you can move on to where the transition takes you. And it's this alternating, this layering of movements of positions, movements and transitions to other movements and positions. And I think the beauty of that simplicity is that it allows people and the saints move like you. I, when I teach, I, I want to extend that um, in some capacity. I want to encourage people to move like themselves rather than fit themselves into the box of this is an exercise that you have to do that has a, a specific form that you have to do it a certain way and it's, and it's, it's right or wrong or mm. whatever that, that, there's a place for that, but it, it also limits a lot of what we can take away from the experience of movement if it is just allowed to be a little bit more open-ended and explorative. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, the series that I did is, uh, you know, again, I play a lot of golf and it's such a great series for, for golfers because it's that whole body kind of like there's, there's flexibility work, uh, especially with the back and the core and the shoulders. And there's another one you, you do um, that idea of the teacup in your hand, and then you, you kind of circle it around and then bring it up high. And I was doing that in between sets at the gym the other day. And, and I used a two and a half pound weight, right? And I just had it in my hand and I was, I was doing that pattern and I started to kind of play around with it in between sets. And it was totally like as a quarterback, I was a quarterback and I have rotator cuff uh, problems, right? But that in itself with a light weight really gets into that deep in that rotator cuff in a, in a soft impact way to really work on, on the shoulder. And I, it, my shoulders felt great after doing that, uh, a succession of days in a row, just that one activity. Right. So it, it, it is, uh, there's a lot of therapy that can be done with this type of movement, especially if you have knee and hip and, and shoulder, uh, injuries. Right. Absolutely. And it doesn't, it doesn't need to be so clinical. We, are conditioned to always be looking for problems and how to fix these problems. The thing is we can have, it's good to have a a working knowledge of anatomy and biomechanics and function. I think we go overboard with having, having to have the answer. I have a pain, so I need to have the answer. It must be a tight this, or it must be a that, or my PT says that it's this. And I, again, I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that that's wrong. I'm just saying we go overboard with this, Mm -hmm. this need, this obsession to have to know what the exact problem is and the exact intervention to solve it when our body is a mystery it's Mm. every it works together as a unit everything is connected it's seamless everything in our life impacts everything else so not just within the body but the environment and the body there's a there's an interplay going on there there's our habits there's there's everything going on in our lifestyle so there's just too many variables to definitively say that this is the answer in most cases. So I prefer to take a more, to hold that, that, that mindset of curiosity of, all right, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to introduce different inputs to my body and then I'm going to check in. So my thought process, my strategy is um, these alternating layers of practice and process Mm-hmm. Uh, practice is introducing new movements, trying different things. Processing is taking a moment to pause, moments to pause, step back and, and look inward, feel what my body has to say about those inputs. And I'm doing, I'm alternating these processes um, both within any given workout and then also, um, you know, throughout my life. I'm going to make sure that I have some space to step back and, and just consider how things unfolded, whether it's in a workout or something that's going on in my life, but taking the time to process is something that we highly value in the space of mental health. We don't talk about it as much in 
uh, other areas, particularly fitness, which is so, so heavily biased towards doing things and achieving things and doing more things and achieving more things that rarely do we stop to consider how, what is the quality of, uh, 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 of this productivity, um, uh, is there space to slow down and just simply pause? So I try to bring that into this idea of holistic fitness. Yeah. And, and what you're describing and going back to Dr. Michael Gervais, the sports psychologist for Seattle Seahawks. And what he talks about is there's a massive difference between doing and being. And this pressure in the modern world is to do, 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 do. And we are defined by what we do and how much we do when really it's about being and if we can be then we will be able to do more so it's really looking internally and what you're talking about that stepping back is 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 very much uh mindfulness and and the ability to be in the present moment in order to drop into the physical sensations of the body so if you're ruminating or projecting forward uh, into the future or ruminating about the past you're not in the present moment. So what you're describing is a, a mindful practice and um, you do have a mindful practice in, in your own life. Yeah. That, that to me, that is that that's mindfulness. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I bringing this back to talking about like introducing this to kids and why I think this is so important. It doesn't need to be so technical or so refined, but though just the power of providing that space that, that lets kids know that you're free to be you in this moment. And it's all good. It's not, it's not subject to evaluation or good or bad, it, we can look at it, we can, we can examine it and, and observe it, but it's not inherently good or bad. It sends, and, and the messages in our culture that are just pervasive in the mainstream media, it's always associating our self-worth with our achievements or, you know, how we look. And to be able to provide more balance in those messages is, is huge. And, and to let kids know that like there's value in just being, and there's value in you have inherent value in worth. You don't always need to be, you don't, that doesn't need to be earned through constant achievements. So I think that message is incredibly important for people of all ages, but, but specifically for kids who are, um, you know, obviously more, more important, impressionable in those formative years. So I look at my own childhood and think, wow, I was just constantly struggling with how do I, how, how do I act in a way that people are going to accept me and like me? And, and I really could have used more messages around like, dude, you're good. Like just, mm -hmm. just, you know, like do your thing and keep gathering feedback on, on your thing to get to understand who you are and, and, and just be that don't try to be anyone else. Um, that was a big thing for me. I always, could, I got really good at fitting in wherever I was at, um, blending in with white culture, blending in with black culture, blending in with rich kids, blending in with poor kids, blending in with wherever I was at. The challenge that I came across way later was shit. I don't know how to be me. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, a lot of this is coming back to that. 
Yeah. And, and you're describing the, the process and versus mm-hmm. product. And, and you use the word feedback, act on the feedback and learn about yourself. And that's very much uh, what's happening in education right now is let's move away from the product, from testing, from summative assessments, more to the process of learning and then getting that timely feedback that's needed to move you forward. Right. So that's very much what you're describing and, and such an important thing in, in education. Uh, so when, I, when PE teachers go to look at your work and, and it's that element of playfulness, you know, and, and like you said, it's not about evaluating the movement. So maybe one of the expectations might be, you know, try to create a sequence of movement that best suits you and the, the way you like to move. So, they are kind of being assessed on the sequence, their, their ability to create a sequence, but how they do that is entirely up to them rather than the teacher saying you must do A, B, C, and D. And I'll let you throw in your own little E thing there, your creative movement, but you have to do the other things first. So <clears throat> that's what you're descri- describing. That's what I would love teachers to do when they go to your work is yeah. to look at it and then just have some fun with kids, you know, so really encouraging teachers to do to embrace the energy of it it, it's not like a lot of times people like what's the what's the certification i can take or like how do i understand all of this and it's like for me it's like well that's not really necessary it's like how like i want you to pay attention to how this all makes you feel does it feel if it feels fun and it feels freeing and it feels like a breath of fresh air something different from traditional exercise then that's what i want you to key in on and understand that as a a a coach or a teacher it the presentation of it is never going to be perfect and it's not meant to be but it is meant to be process focused just like you you totally nailed it. Yeah. Um, it, it. It is this process of being able to be open as a human being. And, and I, I think in, when we start experimenting with movements or putting a sequence together like that, it, it it's really encouraging us to open up, uh, to be a little bit more vulnerable with our own humanity. And I, I, that's, it's never a bad thing, um, especially in a world that's just constantly pushing us to, to, to produce more things, to buy more things, to produce more things. Um, it's, that's the heart of it. And perfection is, it, it's, it's not even part of it. It's just constantly being dedicated to the practice and crafting them. You mentioned the, the teacups or what I call the arm spiral pattern. That's one that, that I have just recently come back to and it's like, Oh, I'm, I've made a few changes to how I, how I, I, I play with that movement. And that's something I've been working with for more than 10 years now, but movements, they float in and out of rotation. They, they come and go and then they, you resume. And then it's like, I come back and it's like, Oh, I understand this a different way. Now I, I'm going to explore this a different way to elicit a different feeling from a different input and it's never about perfection but it's constantly crafting these movements to align with a a, a new feeling or to target an area um that, that i'm trying to give more input to yeah inner inner beauty finding the inner beauty in movement and there's a researcher that i had on um i, I love this guy he's probably in his late 70s now 
really like a, a, a world-renowned uh, researcher in physical education and health. His name is Dr. Scott Kretschmar from uh, Penn State. And he talks about the concept of keeping our playgrounds alive for as long as possible in life. So his approach to physical education is about exactly that, um, finding that joy and love of movement and, and that, that playfulness. And, and he describes himself as his body glassing over, but he's still trying to get out for those long uh, bike rides and, and walks and gardening and all of these things to keep his playgrounds alive for as long as possible, you know, and that's what, what it's about is to stay active as long as possible, because as we go through the years, there's so much more sitting as we know, right. And stuck to screens and all of that. So, you know, that really is what, what it's about. And that's what your work, uh, it, that's what I really appreciate about your work. Um, so segueing into the last part of the, the podcast, um, if you were to project forward, what's your biggest hope with your work? I guess just to normalize movement, um, to help people break down some of the, the, the boundaries between different, but the boundaries that exist within movement. Uh, there's cardio, there's, oh, this is for mobility. Oh, this is for strength. I like these, to, under, to keep these boundaries permeable mm-hmm. um to honor our body as as a whole um my my biggest hope is that in doing that that we can find a new balance um that people can find a more adaptive self-relationship um one that balances doing with being um one that considers the the well-being of the body and not just the the demands or the wants of the mind so oftentimes fitness is is primed as as i want to achieve something so my mind my ego can feel accomplished i want to and and i want to i want to train to do a feat and um or I just want to, I just want to play and be free and run around and do whatever. Like, mm-hmm. great. But this is your body's gift to you, your freedom of movement to pursue whatever you want. However, it's a relationship. So I want people to understand that your relationship with your body is a unique one and it sets the tone for every other relationship that you have in your life. So if your that relationship can't be one-sided because if you're constantly taking from your body, asking for performance but not giving back then it's going to break down at some point a lot of my work is about there's doing the cool flashy stuff but on a deeper level beneath that once we get once i get my foot in the door as a teacher or once you get into the practice it's about understanding that a true practice is about that balance and taking care of your body giving back to your body twice as much as you ask of it. And if you want to, if you want to keep the playground alive and if you want to keep playing, then to be able to hold space within your practice, that's purely about not achieving anything, but giving back to your body, just like you shower and brush your teeth and, do all the little things to take care of yourself and your life so it can operate. You got to just do that on a, 
on a, on a physical level. So a lot of the little movements, uh, a lot of the videos on my channel are just, they're, they're seemingly simple movements, but if you compound them over years of practice, it's, it, it, it's, it's movement nutrition. It, it's what's going to allow you to keep playing. And when you yeah. live in that state for decades, <laughs> you start to gain a little wisdom and the, the, I, you, the way you play as an adult is much different than the way you play as a child because it's backed by wisdom and it becomes something more. And I think within that, you start perpetuating more goodness into the world. It ripples out into the world. And um, so it's not an exact vision, but my hope is that by exposing more people to this way of thinking, that it creates more balance and more, a little bit more, more space to not always be achieving, but to just be and enjoy. Yeah. And I think it's really important at any age level, but in particular, as you age, um, I see your movement patterns being hugely beneficial. Um, so for the older uh, population, uh, really beneficial to them. And, and as you say, if you want to, you know, if you want to keep your playgrounds alive, then you, you need to be able to learn to move in this way because it, it, it will allow you to keep your playgrounds alive and stay active and, and not be, you know, housebound or, you know, like, it's, so that's, that's a really important and thing. Not so. just physically, but mentally as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. By practicing play, you, you change your brain that you're not constantly looking for problems and solutions, but you're open to experiencing the world in a, in a, in a creative and curious way. And I think that that's, that's one of the biggest barriers that, that or the first barriers that I'm working on with adults is that like, stop trying to rush to the end point, stop trying to 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 make it perfect but just let it be what it is and it's in exercising that that you start to build a mindset of play and then you can play you can play anywhere and and anytime so yeah. uh, that's uh, it's subtle and it's nuanced but um but there it is <laughs> yeah awesome what, a, what a, a great description um so where can people find you uh People can find me on YouTube and on Instagram. Those are the, the social media spots that I'm most active, Movement Parallels Life. Um, or they can visit my website, Movement Parallels Life, um, and learn a little bit more about some of my offerings. And that's a good portal into, you know, just kind of figuring out what, what you know, where to go and what an overview on what I've got going on. Um, but I love, I love connecting with people. If anyone out there is listening and this really resonates with you, um, you know, by all means, check out my YouTube channel, tons of resources there. And if you'd like to connect, I'm always, you know, trying to use social media as a way to actually, you know, have human connections and conversations. Um, so please follow along on Instagram. And uh, are you on Facebook at all? Or I am on Facebook, not not quite as much, but I do have a, a Movement Parallels Life page there as well. Okay, okay, great. So I'm going to include all of that in the show notes. <clears throat> but yeah, I really want to thank you for uh, your time. It was uh, great to get to know you and to really unpack more about you as a person, not just Movement Parallels Life, but I think in knowing you um, on a deeper level with some of the stuff you've done, I can really un better understand your, your journey. So I really do appreciate your time. 
Thank you very much. This is a, I've done a lot of podcasts and this has been unique. So I appreciate the thoughtful questions and the opportunity to open up and, and, and share uh, more of this messy picture. Um, but that's life. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. Okay, great. So I'm going to close out the show and then just stay on the line. Okay, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode with Kellen Mylad. And I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. Andy Vasily.